If you have your Bibles, go to Exodus chapter 18. And really, I just feel like the Lord is uh, continuing us in, in this theme and, and topic and uh, getting us to kind of recalibrate a few things. Have you ever said statements such as this? I'll never have enough time to get through everything I have to do today. I just can't add anything else to my schedule. Or how will I squeeze that in? I just, how am I going to get there? I am overbooked. I am double booked. I'm supposed to be in two places at the same time. How am I going to make that happen? Anybody ever say anything like that before? Ever experienced seasons of life where you're exactly in that track? That's what you're living. And you know what? Some of us have uh, really done this more often than we would care to admit. And we've realized that our calendars has become a source of great chaos in our lives. Our calendars has become a source of chaos in our lives. I kind of shared it with you guys a little bit of insight into my life and world in, these, uh, in this season, last Sunday, talking about the needs, the kids, the house, the, the chores, the activities, the responsibilities, all of that stuff. It's all over the place, and I'm sure everybody can um, agree and relate at least in some way, shape, or form. I just can't fit it in. I don't have a way to do this all. Why should I even begin? I will not get everything done. And then some of us, we actually, you know, are very faithful and we say, I'm going to actually review at the end of the day and see everything that I had to do that I actually got done. And some of you brave souls want to actually do that. I, at some, sometimes I just say, I'm not even going to look because I know I didn't make it. I definitely did not fulfill and check the box on all the things that had to be done. What I take great solace in is the fact that in this book, God gives us the raw reality of life. And he gives us stories, not just of the highlights and the incredible you know, victories and successes of men and women of faith, but he gives us the brokenness and the challenges and the pain points and, and the failures and the, you know, the moments that they did not rise to the occasion and the points where they did not fulfill and check every box. And so I want us to take a look at Exodus chapter 18 and look at such a man because Moses was a man that could relate. He had a calendar that was bringing chaos into his life. His calendar was bringing chaos into his life. And it, for him, it took a father-in-law, Jethro, to step in and speak life into his life, life into his calendar, life into his to-dos, so that he could actually live in a place where God intended him to live and not have his calendar kill him and kill those around him. If you're excited to hear a God's word, say amen. If you're not, God forgive you. Exodus 18, verse 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. That's a long time to stand around. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what, are you, what you are doing is not good. Someone say, not good. You and the people 
with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray that you would not speak to the person who is not here this morning or not listening online, but that you will speak to the person sitting in our seats today. I know that there are so many people, God, in our minds right now that we are thinking, man, they should be here today. This is for them, Lord God. I pray that you would make it for us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Today, I don't have a, you know, revelation from heaven that's going to totally shake your world and, and create breaking headlines all over the world. We are just going to talk a little bit about our calendars. Because I believe that we live in a place, in a space, in a culture that is absolutely on the go. Hurry, hurry, hurry is the word of the day, and this is what we want to do. We think about efficiencies of our efficiencies, and strategies for our strategies, and plans and, and structures for the structures that we have in our lives. We want to be better and faster and more able to embrace and take on more and more things. My mom used to say to me all the time, Brian, you can only take on as much as you can take on, and that's it. Don't try to wrap your whole arms around the world but the reality is that we do we wrap our whole arms around all of our work all of our, our community all of our you know our home everything that we need to do everything we want to wrap our arms around everything and take care of everything get everything done and finish everything and yet there is a limitation to life and Moses was definitely experiencing this I just want to share a few things and then we'll talk about a couple of applications here are a couple of signs that your schedule, that your calendar is overwhelming your life. A couple of points that will tell you that, hey, my calendar needs a gut check. My calendar needs a reality check. My calendar needs to be, you know, reevaluated in a bit. If I look at this passage here, we find Moses doing something very critical and important. There's no doubt about it. But his calendar is out of whack. The first thing is that if you look at Moses' experience, verse 14, he says, What is it that you are doing for the people? And listen carefully to what the Bible says Moses replied. Because the people come to me to seek God. The first way you can tell if your calendar is overwhelming and causing chaos in your life is that if your calendar dictates and shows you that you think you're the only solution to everybody's problem. I am the only solution to everyone's problem. If you look at your calendar and that's what it's screaming at you, then you know what? It is a little chaotic and you got some problems. A better translation for this verse here is that it would say this, the people come to me to inquire of God. And that, can, you know, that, that has a connotation that is a little bit more aligned to Moses' intermediary role. Sure. Through him, the people ask God uh, for answers for their disputes. They would come to him and say, God, uh, we need an answer. So let me go to your representative here on earth. Let me go to Moses. And Moses thus asserted that he did not really judge of his own accord and his own actions and his own thoughts and his own you know, ideals. But he actually brought a message and an answer from God to the people. He was the intermediary between the parties, and he informed the people on God's decrees and God's laws, which is all great. It's incredible. It's good. In the legal process of that world and in that beginning stages of the nation of Israel in the wilderness, 
you know, it involved this revelatory process where God would speak to somebody and that somebody would then go ahead and speak to the people. That was all good. But Moses did not truly step into the plan that God had for him because he just rested and stayed within that role and he never cared to explore it further at this point. He is sitting all day and all night and he is judging between everyone else's disputes and problems. I am the sole answer to everyone's problems. Moses made himself, understood himself to be the sole conduit for those people. I am the only vessel through whom God will flow. Sam, when you retired from the police force, did they shut down the police department? They didn't. See, I'm not, I'm not naive enough to believe that uh, if I, for some reason, God calls me out of this church and out of this place, and he tells me, you're going to go move to Alaska. My wife is not happy with that choice of uh, a country, or I'm sorry, not country, state. Maybe I should have said, you know, down to someplace warm like, you know, Texas or Florida or whatever. I'm not naive enough to believe that this church will close down. I'm not, because God has his game pieces. He has his people. He has his uh, servants in whom he elects and he raises up and he brings people to serve him in his capacity, timing, and season. He has a plan and his plan will not be foiled. The gates of hell shall not overcome the church. God has a way, has a plan, and he will fulfill his plan and his purpose. So I'm not naive enough to say, if I'm gone, the church is closed. You all have to find another place to go. Because it's not about me, it's about God's kingdom, it's about his church, it's about following after Jesus, and he'll send someone probably even better than me. Amen? And so here's the deal. Moses finds himself, understands himself as the only solution, and don't we love to do that? Don't we love to find ourselves the only solution? Don't we fancy ourselves like we are the only solution? If I take a day off, if I take a few days off, if I take a week off, God forbid, the whole place is going to shut down. They're going to crash and burn without me. And that's not the reality. If I get sick, you know what? What's going to happen? They can't take your time. Understand that you're not the only one, that you're not the only solution. You can't be the only solution. That mindset, I'm the only solution to everyone's problem, is only going to reflect in you neglecting what is most critical and most important. And you're going to miss out on a few things, which leads me to another uh, way in which you may know that your calendar is overwhelming. And here it is. Your schedule is so overwhelming when you realize you have no time for your family. Can someone say amen? You've got no time for family. Look at what's happening in the context of this scripture. If you go back to Exodus 18, go to verse 2. And verse 3, it says, Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home. He took her along with her two sons. As we come to chapter 18 of Exodus, Moses is a man that's working from early morning to late at night, day in and day out, week after week. And when you put those kinds of hours in, when your schedule reflects that type of, uh, of grind, then something is going to suffer. Something is going to give. Something is going to get left out. Someone say amen. Moses decided, I'm going to send my wife back to my in-laws because I don't have time for the wife and the kids. I can't be able to give my full attention and my full effort. I won't be able to take care. I can't, bet, I can't insulate them. I can't protect them. I can't take care of their needs and, and supply for them what they need and what they require. I will not be able to fully do what they truly deserve. I really do love them. I really do care for them. And I want the best for them. So for the best for them, i got to send them away 
And he's working all day, all night, and something has been left out. I don't have time to deal with this woman. I don't have time to deal with these two boys. I don't have time to care for these people. When we overload our schedules, we tend to forget what is most important, don't we? When we overload our schedules, we tend to forget the most important. We might be about the, the, the critical, the urgent, but we forget what is actually essential. We forget that which is the most critical, the most important. And Moses is certainly doing God's work. There's no doubt about it. He is doing something good. He's leading the people. He led them out of Egypt, took them out of slavery. He's a person that is serving God's plan and leading God's people. It is important work. He's judging. He's intermediating between God and man. He's bringing a rhema word. He's unpacking the scriptures. He is going ahead and showing them the ways of God. He's doing important work. However, he's neglecting a more important responsibility, taking care of his own family. I've said it before, Paul tells Timothy, those who do not take care of their own households, their own families, are worse than the unbelievers. There's this, this idea that we're to take care of those who are nearest and dearest to us. We have this responsibility he is neglecting what is most important. And in 2022, I am not naive to believe that this has been lost on us. In 2022, there are husbands whose careers is their life. And that life, it results in, in their relationships with their spouse, their relationships with their children suffering at home. There are wives whose jobs, whose kids are so important to them and their time spent on kids and on work is so critical that they have no time to think about the husband. There are pastors, okay, and I'm speaking of my own people and tribe. There are pastors of which I have a temptation to go in this track myself, that we are all about the church work, that we have no time for relationship actually with Jesus or relationship actually with my kids there are pastors that are so busy that they don't have time for that which is most critical Dr. Robert Schuler, I was so like floored by this story this was a man who was on a whirlwind book promotion this pastor he had written books he and he was going to visit several cities eight cities in four days he had to go and promote this book it was exhausting work busy work and he was you know doing that on top of his regular duties answering phone calls and and trying to connect with people and booking meetings and doing all these different things and preparing a sermon on the side as he's traveling and going you know uh, to the next city and so on and so forth so as he calls his secretary, he's reviewing his schedule with her. He's talking to her about the plans for the next week and what's going to be happening. And she reminds him, hey, you have a lunch appointment with the winner of a charity raffle. You have an appointment with the person who won this raffle. And when he started to, to unpack it a little further, he asked her, all right, give me the details. Give me the facts. He was sobered when he found out that the winner of the raffle was somebody that he realized has spent the entirety of their life savings, all $500 of their entire life savings, because when he realized the name, it was the name of his own teenage daughter. She spent $500 in order to possibly win a chance to have a lunch appointment with her father. I've talked to some people and they say, man, the only time I get to spend time with my kids is if they're sick from school. 
Now, I don't know about you, but hey, if I'm this little girl, if I'm this little boy, if I'm that person who's being neglected, I'm going to call in sick a lot more often. I might be going to spend some money that maybe I don't have. I'm going to borrow someone's money so that I can actually put it into this raffle and possibly get a chance to spend time with the one that I love. Could it be that when our schedules are so overwhelmed that we are missing what's truly most important? If you give everything you've got at work, you've got nothing left over for the people you love most. If everything you've got, you give to every hobby, you give to every work responsibility, you give to every other person outside of your home, what are you going to give the leftovers, the crumbs to those whom you love the most? Lord, help us. Help us, Lord Jesus. Maybe our calendars are out of whack and we're overwhelmed. Chaos is coming into our lives. Here's another sign. When all we do is work in the problem as opposed to working on the problem. Exodus 18, verse 16 through 18. This is what he says. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses was so preoccupied working in dispute resolution that he didn't have time to work on training and appointing judges. He was so busy, his calendar was so chock full of other people's priorities that it left Moses no time to work on his own. He was so busy working on someone else's solutions and someone else's problems that he could not work on the structures to better equip other men and women to take on those problems, to better equip and, and be able to solve those issues. He was working in the midst of the problem and he was not working on the problem itself. There's something greater happening on the issue but he's too busy in it with his nose on it and inside of it that he can't see the bigger picture Moses you're hurting yourself but your overwhelmed schedule is also hurting everyone else caught in the gravitational pull of these judicial issues he drifted from the critically important responsibility of leadership imagine that you were living in this time. Imagine that you are the person who has the critical issue. Imagine that you need an answer from God. You want God to intervene in your situation. I don't know what it is. You take your everyday common problem today, your impossible mountain that you're dealing with right now, and now you know extract that and put it into the time of Moses. You show up to Moses. He is there. He has been serving and connecting and answering and resolving disputes all day long. You've come early in the morning, and now it's lunchtime. You're hungry. You're getting hangry. Some of us know what that feels like. It's like the Snickers commercial. Without food, you become a diva, right? You're getting angry. You're hungry. You're tired. The sun is beating down on you because you're waiting by the city gates. You're waiting by, you know, in the common, um, and, and you're just there. Moses, please help us. And there's a line of people to be answered. You're getting frustrated. Your fuse is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And Moses is getting tired and tired and tired. And so when you show up finally, he is exhausted. He is drained. You are short-fused. You have anger issues. You're not even looking to resolve your issues. You just want to be right and you want the other person to be wrong and you're frustrated. You are hurting yourself, Moses, and the people. What is happening? He is giving them the residue. He is giving them the, the very basic. He's not giving them his best. 
People are not going to experience their best. They're not going to be at their best to receive an answer from him. When God intermediates and shares the good news of what he wants done, they are not in the right mind to receive it. Why? Because you're flustered, you're angry, you're tired. You've been here all day. You've got responsibilities waiting for you back home and you just wasted and lost an entire day. Moses, you're not helping yourself and you're not helping everyone else around you. The person who only works in their duties, works in their skill set, works in their problem, their progress is minimal. Yeah, Moses resolved an issue at a time, but what happens tomorrow? I have to do this again and again. What's going to happen next week? I have to do it all over again. Oh, yes, honey, I will get to you eventually. Yes, yes, boy, I'm going to have that day. We're going to go out, I promise, but just not today, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month. It's going to happen eventually. Why? Because our schedule is so overwhelmed of working in the issue and not on the problem. All their time was exhausted on doing and they got nothing left for working on improving. If I'm working and all my bandwidth is on uh, taking care of the issue, there is no bandwidth, there is no energy, there is no effort, there is no time, there is no, no margin for me to be able to work on evaluating, on adjusting, on learning, on enhancing what I can do and what I can offer and how I can serve someone else. All I do is work in it. I can't work on it. Schedule is out of whack. Each day, if we offer people the same stale service, they, if we run on yesterday's anointing, on yesterday's enthusiasm, on yesterday's solutions, church, let me just tell you, there will come a day when yesterday's supply won't be enough for today's demands. Yesterday's supplies will not be enough for today's demands. So what are we to do? His counter is out of whack. He is the only solution. He has no time for family. He's working in the problem, not on the problem. And so you can look at all these other things that's going on within uh, this text and scripture and what's, what's happening here. But what are we to do? If we just take a look at this, Jethro didn't come and say, hey, you have a problem. See you later. Bye. I'm going home. He gave him a solution and he talked to him about putting some things in place and resolving some of the issues. So let's just look at some simply some things. Um, an overwhelmed schedule. Can you say this? My overwhelmed schedule must be introduced to rest. My overwhelmed schedule must be introduced to rest. If you look at Exodus 18, verse 21, Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. What Jethro offered Moses was rest. Some of us are like, what is that word? What does that mean? That's for someone else. Oh, that's awesome, man. You can rest. You know, you pass. There's, there's a lot of folks who believe that pastors, they only work on Sunday morning. It, it, it's one of the myths. You know, we work. We spend our, in the entirety of our week reading the passages and the scriptures and spending time with God and getting ready to preach. And we're crafting ideas and illustrations and all that other stuff. And then some days I'm like, you know what, Lord Jesus, can I just get this building not to fall apart, please, Lord? And I'm chasing this issue and that issue and, and, and taking care of this human resource issue with the daycare and that issue over there with the tenants and, and all of these situations that's going on with the city. And then resolving ideas and planning initiatives and, 
there is more to ha- that happens, you know, not to mention the phone calls for, for guidance and, and, and to, to, to take care of the issues and the disputes and all that stuff. There's, there's more to it than just that. And some of us look and say, hey, yeah, this Christian, he can, he can rest. That's for him. But I don't got time for that. I got to work. I got to pay the bills. I got to take care of my family. I got to take care of this. And you know what? We, we don't have time. That's a luxury. What do you mean rest? I got two, three jobs. I can't make ends meet. What is this rest idea all about? This doesn't make sense. I can't do this. Moses, look for able-bodied people. Spread the load. Delegate some of the issues. And let them judge every day. Let them go ahead and judge. You take on the big things. You can still be the intermediary between God and man, but not on everything. There are other people that can step in and also connect with God. Hello, you're not the only one that has access to God. I'm not the only one that has access to God. Everyone has access. You have been given a new way and a new opportunity. And so how do we rearrange our lives to reprioritize our schedules? How do we get back in sync with God's plan, with God's purpose? Well, rest, right? If you take the R, recognize your true value before God. See, I wonder if Moses was not really recognizing. Think about his back backstory. Think about when God called him out of the burning bush and Moses gave God all of these excuses and reasons why he was not the deliverer, why he could not go and be the person that God was calling him to be and do the task that God was calling him to do. The reason most people is overworked is because they confuse their work with their worth. Someone say amen. We think that all we are is what we work, what we do. I achieve a lot. I'm worth a lot. If I do a lot, I'm worth. If my calendar is busy enough, then I I must be successful. If I have no time to do what I, you know, because everyone else that don't have time, they're not accomplishing much. They have a lot of time. They're not accomplishing much. But those who don't, they're busy. They're working. They're making things happen. In America, we get this primary identity of what we do. That's what we think we are and who we are. When we meet someone after we find out their name, we usually, you know, the second question is, hey, what do you do? What's your name? Oh, my name is Bill. Okay, Bill, what do you do? Why? Because what you do means how much you're worth. Oh, you're, you're a doctor. Wow, man, you're awesome. That's cool. You're, you're important. Oh, you, 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 know, you work as a barista. Okay, maybe not so much, but a little bit. What we do is what we assign worth to, and that's not the reality of the Bible. It doesn't teach us that. Our worth has nothing to do with our work. Many of us grew up with a little phrase in our mind that, hey, maybe we're nobody. We're never going to be somebody. Or, you know what, uh, maybe a friend said that or a, or a parent, God forbid, said that to us. And we're working all of our lives to get away from that idea to prove ourselves to be something of worth. Yet God calls us to be worthy. His image, his likeness. Whom he sends his son to die for. Our worth He has purchased us at a price like we talked about last week. He declares that we are worthwhile and worthy, that we have value by how he chose to pay with his own life. We are not the sum of what we do, but we are the sum of who we belong to. We belong to him. Instead of us saying, I'll show them, I'll prove my worth, I'll accomplish, I'll, I'll achieve all these things. And you know what? The problem with that is we'll never achieve enough to feel satisfied. There is no amount of achieving that will get us to feel like we are accomplished and we are successful. And that inner little voice that says, you just got to keep paddling, you just got to keep working, you just got to keep doing, you just got to keep proving. As Moses is running away from his past, running away from his insecurities, and running towards success and fame and and, and fortune and, and worth and value, he is running towards all these different things. Yet God calls us 
that we are important. James 1.18, God decided to give us life through the word of truth so that we might be the most important of all things he made. God declares us worthwhile. What else do we do? Learn to enjoy what you already have. Some of us are working so hard and we're chasing everything. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. Can you be so preoccupied in getting more than you lose sight of what you actually already have? I just want more. I want the big house. I want the next house. I want that nice car. I want this. I want that. I want to be able to vacation. I want to be able to have this, that, whatever. And we're trying to get something else, and yet we're losing sight of what we already have within our hand. A bird in hand is better than two in the bush, is what the old saying says, right? What is my desire to acquire quotient? Can you think about that? Are you so busy trying to acquire more and more that you don't enjoy what you already have? We can get caught up in this syndrome. We buy things that we don't need to impress people that we don't care for, and then we are stuck with the debt of it and the time for it and all this other stuff. Think about this. One person was saying uh, in the book, uh, there's a good book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. You should check out that book. Some of the points, uh, some of the ideas and figures and facts have been adapted from from his book. Uh, He talks about this. Somebody once uh, wanted to buy a motorcycle. If you want to ride a motorcycle, nothing wrong with that. Just be careful. It's dangerous, right? Look out everywhere. There's motorcycles everywhere. So when you're driving, please be careful if you're driving a car. Be nice. be, Be considerate. But here's the deal. When you buy a motorcycle, you're not just buying it and paying the cost of what the monthly premiums are for it, how much you have to pay in payments. Or if you're buying it outright, you have the cash. You're not just paying for the value of that motorcycle. But here's the true cost of it. You have to now take the time to wash that thing. That's a cost. You got to take the time to maintain it. Something breaks, you got to go and fix it. So that takes up some of the cost. That, that is part of the cost. When you, you know what, uh, want to ride that motorcycle, you also have to invest time. It costs you your time, your energy, your, your effort. You won't be able to do something else because you're out riding your bike. So it's, it's not a problem, but you have to account for the whole thing. And some of us are so busy trying to get everything else that we lose fact and lose sight of the reality that it's going to cost us maybe more than we are willing to spend or are able to spend. And we want more and more and more and more and more. And then you spend all of your time maintaining, fixing, taking care of, protecting, trying to get back, you know, adjusting, analyzing, and and keeping, trying to utilize, do, and experience, maximize all of the things that you spent all of your time and effort trying to do because you want to enjoy it, but yet it's not bringing you enjoyment at all. It's just one more thing to maintain, one more thing. So in his book, he talks about the art of simplicity. If you think about Jesus, he dialed down all of our needs to a couple of things when he was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Look at the birds of the air and look at the lilies of the field. They don't toil. The birds of the air, they have food. God provides for them. He'll take care of their basic needs of food. Hey, and look at the lilies. God will take care of your need for clothing. Don't you worry. Do we really need more than that? If we stop and think about it. You know, we we take a look at the fact that we have so much here. We're blessed. Absolutely, we are. And we have so many things and so many gadgets, so many efficiencies, so many things. I look at my house and I'm like, man, there's no space to put anything else. Lord, have mercy. 
You know, at one point I used to have a wallet that I would sit on. It would like, you know, raise me a couple of inches because it had so many cards in it, so many things. And then I decided I'm going to get a wallet that I can only fit six cards in it. And if I can't fit those six cards in it, then I don't need it. I don't carry cash. I just use debit. You know, I just, that's how I do it. But, you know, stop and think about something so simple as a card and how many cards are in your pocketbook. But how many things are cluttering our life? How many things are we pursuing? We need to learn to enjoy the things that we do have as opposed to just be about the next thing that we're going to get. Because that thing's going to cost us time, energy, effort, utilization. It will cost us opportunity where we not be able to do something else. We're doing this. What else? Structure your time. If we look at the S, structure, we need to have some structure when it comes to our time. We think that we can just do everything and just put it on, it's going to get done, we're going to figure out a way. I'm notorious about this. At one point, Little Lamb had to talk to me. Our kids go to Little Lamb here, the daycare. And uh, uh, at one point, the director called and she says, Brian, i got to talk to you because the teachers don't want to talk to you. You're the boss. I'm like, okay, what's going on? It's like, um, when you don't come at 4 o'clock to pick up your kids, you put us out of ratio. And they don't want to write you up because you're the boss. They're supposed to write up everybody that comes after because we have a payment policy. You are charged a fine when you come late, but they don't want to write you up. You're the boss. I said to them, please write me up. Help me because this is me. I'm in my office. I'm wrapping up. I'm just going to finish this one last thing. I'm going to get it done. And it's 3.55. I got to pick up the kids at 4 o'clock. I can get there at 4. At 3.59, I'll get there. Everything's good. Well, hey, Brian, genius, you have two kids. You can't be in two places at the same time. You might be on time for one kid, but you'll miss the other kid. You'll put them out of ratio, and there's a problem. We've got to realize that we need to structure our time. Maybe I've got to build some boundaries and some barriers into what I do and I don't do and how I do things. And one of the best ways that God gives us structure, he, he teaches us, hey, you're going to need some structure. He instituted the Sabbath. He said in the commandments that you shall keep the Lord's day as holy. You shall keep the Sabbath holy. You are to observe the Sabbath. You are to remember the Sabbath. You are to take some times of rest. You need to slow yourself down. We talked about last week that our bodies is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're going to have to answer to God for how we utilize our body. Well, hey, you know what? We need to build in times to rest our body. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. That vacation is looking really good right now. All those moments dreaming and anticipating your next vacation, I just validated, hallelujah, praise God. We need times to rest our body. But hey, it's not just about resting this physical thing, but resting our emotions, our mind, resting our soul, anchoring ourselves to God. So build in times of rest for yourself. Build in times to recharge your emotions. You know, if Jesus constantly set himself apart and he went away, you know, and he was able to do all he did and he decided that the Sabbath was important, he decided that moments away and times for rest and times to reconnect and recharge his batteries was important then who are we to say that we don't need that? If he accomplished all he accomplished, and he constantly was resting, he did everything he did without running and being hurried. That in itself is a lesson for all of us. I dare you, go look in the Gospels. Go study the scriptures and find me a time where Jesus was in a rush. Please, that'll be your homework assignment. Meet me next week. 
You know, talk to me at small groups this week. Tell me, show me, prove me wrong. That Jesus was running around. Show me a time. <laughs> Craig Rochelle said this, hey, Jesus, his, even his mode of transportation, think about it, he walked everywhere. And when he decided to take on a different means and mediums of transportation, he did not take the swift, you know, uh, jet or the fastest you know you know cc motorcycle he didn't hop on that dodge charger with the hemi he he took a donkey an animal that doesn't run he was riding on a donkey he was walking everywhere he went and yet jesus accomplished all that he accomplished he did it not rushed Never once will you find him saying, oh, you know what? These disciples are not here on time. Well, I'm leaving. I got to go because I got a place to be. I got a TEDx talk to do. I got to, you know, uh, have this interview with this important, you know, uh, uh, media organization. I'm going to do this and that. No, he said, hey, all right, let's go. Or, hey, let's go to the other side and let's chill. When, when he was starting off his ministry, the first thing he did is not go out there and say, all right, I got to book all these meetings. I got to do all these things. When Jesus was baptized out of the Jordan, God spoke from heaven. The dove descended on him like a dove. And then Jesus decides, I'm going to start and begin my earthly ministry. What does he do? He goes into the desolate place. He goes into the desert. He goes into the wilderness. He goes into the word aremas, the wilderness. It's not necessarily just a desert, dry, and you think of sand and sand dunes and all that kind of stuff. It means desolate. It means lonely. It means a place that there is not the cacophony of noise and the busyness of life and the craziness of, of what we have to do in the overbooked schedules and calendar. It was a place where he could go be alone and connect with God, recharge his body, recharge his mind, his soul, hear from the Lord and connect with him. And in that place of his loneliness and seeking God was where he was the strongest, where he could take on the devil full on. When the enemy came tempting him and saying, you got to do this, you got to add that, you got to take care of this, and why don't you do this? Jesus was in that place of being quiet, being still before the Lord, connecting with God, being tuned in, that he was able to do his, his biggest work in resisting the enemy. Head on. We got to find structures if we're going to abide with God, then we need to put structures in our lives that will help us to stay on target. I don't know what it's going to mean for you. Maybe you need to put some parameters in place. Maybe you need to set apart a designated space for you to connect with God. Maybe you need to take some time and decide, I'm going to you know, utilize this time before I can do everything else. Maybe you need to you know, go and parent your phone, for instance, and say, hey, my phone's going to go to bed at a certain time. Maybe you need to uh, put in um, certain opportunities where you're going to connect with certain people and that's going to be your moment to check in and connect and and you guys are going to pray together and you're going to you know spend some time in connecting with god and and finding out what god wants to do and recharging your batteries and not just being about go 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 lastly trade t trade your pressure for god's peace you know go ahead and trade your pressure for god's peace this gets at the very root of our stress, the very root of our overwhelmed schedules. There are, there's fatigue that we experience. We experience physical fatigue, and we can take care of that when we go on vacation, sure. We can rest our bodies and not be about the routine and the grind that we have all the time. But there's fatigue for our emotions, fatigue for our spirit. And if we're in that deep place of fatigue, 
emotionally, spiritually. That's going to take way more than a vacation to deal with. And so we need to come to the Lord and ask him to trade for us our fatigue for his rest. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary. Learn from me. I'm humble in spirit. I will give you rest. We need to go to Jesus and ask him to trade what we have. A little child does not like to lie down and does not like to rest. My son's at an age right now where he does not like to go and, and take a break. He doesn't like afternoon naps anymore. To, to my, you know, frustration, because when it's a day off or a weekend or even Sunday after service, we want to all take that glorious Sunday afternoon nap. Yet we can't in our home because my boy wants to go wild. There's toys everywhere. He wants to go outside. He's screaming. He wants to do whatever he wants to do. He does not want to go to sleep. A little child does not like to lie down to rest. Resistance to rest is a mark of immaturity, though. That's why it tells us in the Psalms that he makes me lie down in green pastures. Because I don't want to do it. God forces us to take the Sabbath. He teaches us the rule. He gives us the commandment. And with it, he tells us of all the commandments, he gives a blessing that's going to be associated with it if we do it. He gives it to us because we don't want to do it ourselves. If we're always going and never taking time to rest in our relationships, in, in the Lord, in, in what he has for us, then we're, not, we're breaking God's best for ourselves and we're choosing second best for our life. And that will lead us to a place of unfulfillment and lack of satisfaction. Why not today, church, let God recalibrate our hearts? I invite the team to come back up. See, God will help you to transfer this high-paced, jet-setting type of lifestyle to that slow, steady thing that he wants. The reality is you want to understand this, that hurry is the enemy of love. Hurry is incompatible with love. That's what John says in his book. Hurry does not match up with love. Think about Jesus. He was so focused on loving God and loving others that he would take the time to, to spend with both. When Jairus showed up, as, at his house, showed up to Jesus wherever he was and says, Lord, my daughter is dying. She's sick. Come home and be with us. Pray for my child. Heal my child, Lord God. Jesus said, no problem, let's go. And he went after Jairus, following him to his home. But as he's going, we know that in that moment where he is coming upon a crowd, all of a sudden somebody touches the hem of his garment and he says, virtue has come out of my body. He stops and Jairus, I can imagine Jairus looking over at Jesus saying, what are you doing? We got my daughter is dying, let's go, come on, hurry up, let's, Jesus, let's go. I don't have time for this. Any moment now, she could kick the bucket. Any moment now, it could be too late. Jesus, come, come, please. Jesus, this virtue has flowed out of my body. Who touched me? And that woman who had been suffering for 12 years with the issue of blood finally encounters Jesus, who is not too hurried and too busy to meet her in a moment of love. See, we're about our next thing. Fulfilling what's most important and what we estimate to be important. But let me tell you, love is very inefficient. Some of the best conversations I've had with family happen in a moment that some of my family members 
couldn't even consider to be an impactful and crazy moment. You might spend an entire day, you might spend an entire summer break with a family member. I remember I took, when I was seven years old, I took, seven, I took two months and I went to Brazil. It was the one time when I was a kid that I had the authorization to go because I didn't have my paperwork until I was in my 20s. Finally got my residency and able to travel and, and do all this stuff. But when I was seven, somehow the immigration services allowed my family an opportunity for me to go to Brazil. And that's when I met my grandfather for the first time. And I can remember out of those two months of being there, there was this one moment, the day before we left, that my grandpa went all around the town. He went to a gas station. He went to a couple of different spots to get some supplies. And he built me a slingshot. In all that he had to do and everything that he was managing with his household and family, that he took the time to just be able to build that for me. And I remember that as if it was yesterday. He went to the gas station to get the rubber from the, from the tires and he made that into the straps. And then he went behind his, his house and he cut down a piece of wood from an orange tree and, and he you know, you know, whittled it away and made it into the spokes of a slingshot. And I could not hit anything with that thing. It was terrible. But the fact that my grandpa took the time to do that, it built a memory of me and him, that me living so far away in the States, him being there, I only have a few moments with him. But the things that I've heard of my grandfather, of how he cared for the family and did everything for them. And he was, you know, a playful man. And, and he, he would not just be about so serious about life. Like it got seared into my memory and conscious in that simple moment. And yet I spent all this time in Brazil and I had probably several conversations with him as a kid. But yet that one moment, see, love is inefficient in a sense. You can't control it and say, this is going to happen in this way in this time. It could be a fleeting moment in a conversation. It could be, you know, an act of love that you, make, that you do that makes all the difference. And if all we do is, is go to, from this thing to the next thing, what are we missing out on? What is God going to call us to be accountable to if we are just so filled with getting our work done, we're missing the most important thing? The reality is we have time for whatever we choose to have time for. Let's just, just, let's just call the kettle black. We have time for whatever we choose to have time for. Did you know that on average, I'm going to step on some toes, we'll wrap it up with this. On average, the average user of social media spends 704 hours a year on social media. If you were to take that time and, and, and give yourself an equivalent comparison, if you work eight hours a day, right? Most people work eight hours a day. Some of us work 16 hours a day. But if you were to work eight hours a day, that means that you spend four months on social media a year. Four months of working hours. Imagine if for four months out of your job, you just said, boss, I'm not gonna do the reports. I'm not gonna meet the customers. I'm not answering the phone. I'm on social media. Pay me four months to be on social media. Some of you say, hey, I'm off the hook, PB, because I don't use social media. I don't know what Facebook, social, you know, Instagram, TikTok, I don't have all that stuff. That's for the younger generations. And by the way, that's an average. So some of you younger folks, you do a lot more than 704 a year. So if you feel like you're off the hook, what about this one, TV? 
The average person watches 2,700 plus hours of TV per year. Let's not even do the math on that one because it's more than four months. And uh, this is one that, you know, at my house there's an Xbox, there's a Nintendo Wii, but they're unplugged and they're put away because this applies to me too. If I could just speak to the young men. He mentioned in his book that by the time we're 21 years old, most boys, most men spend 10,000 hours playing video games. This is not a year, but by the age of 21, we spend 10,000 hours playing video games. Malcolm Gladwell wrote something in the book, Tipping Point, that if you want to become a master at anything, you spend 10,000 hours in it. You could be a master in that. So stop and imagine, what could you do with 10,000 hours? See, I'm not knocking these things. These things could all be tools, TV, entertainment, media, you know, uh, video games. It, it, it could all be used as, as tools. There's one pastor within our network that he is a video game pastor, and he has built a ministry and equipped other pastors, and they meet people and they minister online to people who do not darken the door of a church, and he's built a church with people who play video games. And you know what? He is making a difference in their lives, touching people around the world. So I'm not, I'm not knocking this per se. But I want you to stop and understand, am I at that level and caliber and utilizing my time to that efficiency and effectiveness? With 10,000 hours, man, you could become a concert pianist. With 10,000 hours, you could become a master communicator. With 10,000 hours, you could go to school and get your degrees, bachelors and masters. With 10,000 hours, you could possibly save a relationship if you devoted that amount of time and that amount of connection that amount of mind space and effort and energy you know when it didn't work out you get back on it and you try again you you know you you fail the level it's game over you try one more time for 10,000 hours I think you might be able to restore a relationship so let's think about this some of us say I don't have enough time for God I don't have enough time to read my Bible. I don't have enough time to pray. I don't have enough time to serve in church. I don't have enough time to, to you know, spend with my family. I don't have enough time for X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. The reality is we have enough time for what we choose. What are we choosing to spend it on? What is our calendars dictating? What are we running from? What are we running to? Moses, you can't keep doing this. Moses, it's not going to work out for you or the people. Moses, you're hurting yourself, you're hurting your family, you're hurting your people. What would happen if all of us would slow down enough to love Jesus deeply? What would happen if all of us would slow down enough to love our neighbors Passionately. What would happen instead of us whizzing by them and say, yeah, I'm good, I'm busy, see you later. But we stopped to just pray with them, to hear their story, to connect with their pain, to find out what's happening in their world. What would happen if we turned down the music and listened to the angst in our own hearts and what God is trying to speak to us? 
I believe we can, church, and we have the time to do it, but we just have to choose to. As we go back into worship, I feel like the Lord is just kind of creating an atmosphere for us to do this here this morning. As you saw from earlier today, it wasn't about going to the next thing, but it was about slowing it down and just pressing in with God and hearing his still small voice. Everything else will be outside waiting for you when you get out, and that will be the test of what you can do. Will you stand with me? Lord, I pray that as we're here in this place, yeah, we're talking about something practical as our time and what we do with it. Knowing that, Lord, you will, ga- you will judge us and, ga- and engage our usage of it. But Lord, there's, there might be people here today who are feeling, Lord God, just overwhelmed by their calendars and overwhelmed by the responsibilities, overwhelmed by the necessities and and they don't feel like they even can come to a place of choosing better options. I pray, Lord God, that you would instead right now do a deep work in our hearts and trade for us our busyness, our overwhelming calendars, our tiredness and our frustrations, or I can't squeeze another thing in. And Lord God, just trade it for your yoke and your burden. Help us to slow down, Lord God, and by slowing down, accomplish more. Help us, Lord God, to slow down and by doing so, become more intentional with the little actions that we take. Help us, Father, to slow down and in doing so, Lord God, get more out of what you have reserved for us. Whether that be relationships, our family, our work, Lord God, the meaning, the purpose, the calling of our lives. Lord, help us to turn things off and and build boundaries and set up, Lord God, systems that would force us into compliance if necessary. Lord, for some of us whom you've made us lie down and rest without our desire to do so, Lord, let our immaturity not get the loudest voice in the final word, but Father, I pray that we would hear your still small voice even in the midst of your mandated slowdown. God, I pray that it would not be what is required, what you demand of us because we're too stubborn, but I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to willingly, personally, individually choose to slow things down to connect with you, to love our neighbors as you called us to love you with all our hearts. Father, help us. If there's anyone here this morning that has not yet exchanged their burden for yours, I pray today, Lord Jesus, that you would do a transfer, that there's men and women who've never come to experience you, Lord. I pray that today they would run to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I take what you have in store for me instead of what the world has for me. If today, Lord God, there's men and women who've walked away from the faith and added all these other things onto their lives and have forsaken and forgotten your kingdom, Lord, I pray today, let there be a return. Let the prodigals come home. Let people experience your grace and your mercy. Lord, I pray that as we close our service, that you would have the final say in our lives. That your grace, Lord, would be upon us that your enablement and empowerment, Holy Spirit, will be with us, that the love of God, the love of the Father would be, Lord God, evident in our lives and our hearts 
as we go from this place. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.